section eleven of psychology of the unconscious by carl jung this librivox recording is in the public domain part two chapter one aspects of the libido before i enter upon the contents of this second part it seems necessary to cast a backward glance over the singular train of thought which the analysis of the poem the moth to the sun has produced although this poem is very different from the foregoing hymn of creation closer investigation of the longing for the sun has carried us into the realm of the fundamental ideas of religion and astral mythology which ideas are closely related to those considered in the first poem the creative god of the first poem whose dual nature moral and physical was shown especially clearly to us by job has in the second poem a new qualification of astral mythological or to express it better of astrological character the god becomes the sun and in this finds an adequate natural expression quite apart from the moral division of the god idea into the heavenly father and the devil the sun is as renan remarked really the only rational representation of god whether we take the point of view of the barbarians of other ages or that of the modern physical sciences in both cases the sun is the parent god mythologically predominantly the father god from whom all living things draw life he is the fructifier and creator of all that lives the source of energy of our world the discord into which the soul of man has fallen through the action of moral laws can be resolved into complete harmony through the sun as the natural object which obeys no human moral law the sun is not only beneficial but also destructive therefore the zodiacal representation of the august heat is the herd devouring lion whom the jewish hero samson killed in order to free the parched earth from this plague yet it is the harmonious and inherent nature of the sun to scorch and its scorching power seems natural to men it shines equally on the just and on the unjust and allows useful living objects to flourish as well as harmful ones therefore the sun is adapted as is nothing else to represent the visible god of this world that is to say that driving strength of our own soul which we call libido and whose nature it is to allow the useful and injurious the good and the bad to proceed that this comparison is no mere play of words is taught us by the mystics when by looking inwards introversion and going down into the depths of their own being they find in their heart the image of the sun they find their own love or libido which with reason i might say with physical reason is called the sun for our source of energy and life is the sun thus our life substance as an energetic process is entirely sun of what special sort this sun energy seen inwardly by the mystic is is shown by an example taken from the hindu mythology from the explanation of part three of the 
shvetashvatraropanishad we take the following quotation which relates to the rudra two yea the one rudra who all these worlds with ruling power doth rule stands not for any second behind those that are born he stands at ending time ingathers all the worlds he hath evolved protector he three he hath eyes on all sides on all sides surely hath faces arms surely on all sides on all sides feet with arms with wings he tricks them out creating heaven and earth the only god four who of the gods is both the source and growth the lord of all the rudra mighty seer who brought the shining germ of old into existence may he with reason pure conjoin us these attributes allow us clearly to discern the all-creator and in him the sun which has wings and with a thousand eyes scans the world the following passages confirm the text and join to it the idea most important for us that god is also contained in the individual creature seven beyond this world the brahman beyond the mighty one in every creature hid according to its form the one encircling lord of all him having known immortal they become eight i know this mighty man sunlike beyond the darkness him and him only knowing one crosseth over death no other path at all is there to go eleven spread over the universe is he the lord therefore as all pervader he's benign the powerful god the equal of the sun is in that one and whoever knows him is immortal going on further with the text we come upon a new attribute which informs us in what form and manner rudra lived in men twelve the mighty monarch he the man the one who doth the essence start towards that peace of perfect stainlessness lordly exhaustless light thirteen the man the size of a thumb the inner self sits ever in the heart of all that's born by mind mind ruling in the heart is he revealed that they who know immortal they become fourteen the man of the thousands of heads and thousands of eyes and thousands of feet covering the earth on all sides he stands beyond ten finger breaths fifteen the man is verily this all both what has been and what will be lord too of deathlessness which far all else surpasses important parallel quotations are to be found in the kathopanishad section two part four twelve the man of the size of a thumb resides in the midst within the self of the past and the future the lord thirteen the man of the size of a thumb like flame free from smoke of past and of future the lord the same is to-day to-morrow the same will he be who this tom thumb is can easily be divined the phallic symbol of the libido the phallus is this hero dwarf who performs great deeds he this ugly god in homely form who is the great doer of wonders 
since he is the visible expression of the creative strength incarnate in man this extraordinary contrast is also very striking in faust the mother scene mephistopheles i'll praise thee ere we separate i see thou knowest the devil thoroughly here take this key faust that little thing mephistopheles take hold of it not undervaluing faust it glows it shines increases in my hand mephistopheles how much it is worth thou soon shalt understand the key will scent the true place from all others follow it down twill lead thee to the mothers here the devil again puts into faust's hand the marvellous tool a phallic symbol of the libido as once before in the beginning the devil in the form of the black dog accompanied faust when he introduced himself with the words part of that power not understood which always wills the bad and always creates the good united to this strength faust succeeded in accomplishing his real life task at first through evil adventure and then for the benefit of humanity for without the evil there is no creative power here in the mysterious mother scene where the poet unveils the last mystery of the creative power to the initiated faust has need of the phallic magic wand in the magic strength of which he has at first no confidence in order to perform the greatest of wonders namely the creation of paris and helen with that faust attains the divine power of working miracles and indeed only by means of this small insignificant instrument this paradoxical impression seems to be very ancient for even the upanishads could say the following of the dwarf god nineteen without hands without feet he moveth he graspeth eyeless he seeth and earless he heareth he knoweth what is to be known yet is there no knower of him him call the first mighty the man twenty smaller than small yet greater than great in the heart of this creature the self doth repose etc the phallus is the being which moves without limbs which sees without eyes which knows the future and as symbolic representative of the universal creative power existent everywhere immortality is vindicated in it it is always thought of as entirely independent an idea current not only in antiquity but also apparent in the pornographic drawings of our children and artists it is a seer an artist and a worker of wonders therefore it should not surprise us when certain phallic characteristics are found again in the mythological seer artist and sorcerer hephaestus Velen, the smith and mani the founder of manichaeism whose followers were also famous have crippled feet the ancient seer melampus possessed a suggestive name blackfoot and it seems also to be typical for seers to be blind dwarfed stature ugliness and deformity have become especially typical for those mysterious chthonian gods the sons of hephaestus the cabriri to whom great power to perform miracles was ascribed the name signifies powerful and the samothracian cult is most intimately united with that of the ithyphallic 
hermes who according to the account of herodotus was brought to attica by the pelasgians they are also called the great gods their near relations are the idean dactyli finger or idean thumb to whom the mother of the gods had taught the blacksmith's art the key will scent the true place from all others follow it down twill lead thee to the mothers they were the first leaders the teachers of orpheus and invented the ephesian magic formulas and the musical rhythms the characteristic disparity which is shown above in the upanishad text and in faust is also found here since the gigantic hercules passed as an idean dactyl the colossal phrygians the skilled servants of rhea were also dactyli the babylonian teacher of wisdom oannes was represented in a phallic fish form the two sun heroes the dioscuri stand in relation to the kabiri they also wear the remarkable pointed head covering pileus which is peculiar to these mysterious gods and which is perpetuated from that time on as a secret mark of identification Addis, the elder brother of christ wears the pointed cap just as does mithra it has also become traditional for our present-day chthonian infantile gods the brownies penates and all the typical kind of dwarfs freud has already called our attention to the phallic meaning of the hat in modern fantasies a further significance is that probably the pointed cap represents the foreskin in order not to go too far afield from my theme i must be satisfied here merely to present the suggestion but at a later opportunity i shall return to this point with detailed proof the dwarf form leads to the figure of the divine boy the pure eternus the young dionysus jupiter and xurus tages and so on in the vase painting of thebes already mentioned a bearded dionysus is represented as kabapoe together with the figure of a boy as paeus followed by a caricatured boy's figure designated as patoaos and then again a caricatured man which is represented as mitos miros really means thread but in orphic speech it stands for semen it was conjectured that this collection corresponded to a group of statuary in the sanctuary of a cult this supposition is supported by the history of the cult as far as it is known it is an original phoenician cult of father and son of an old and young kabir who were more or less assimilated with the grecian gods the double figures of the adult and the child dionysus lend themselves particularly to this assimilation one might also call this the cult of the large and small man now under various aspects dionysus is a phallic god in whose worship the phallus held an important place for example in the cult of the argivian bull dionysus moreover the phallic hermy of the god has given occasion for a personification of the phallus of dionysus in the form of the god phales who is nothing else but a priapus he is called a typus or ipoanus comrade fellow reveller corresponding to this state of affairs one cannot very well fail 
to recognize in the previously mentioned kabiric representation and in the added boy's figure the picture of man and his penis the previously mentioned paradox in the upanishad text of large and small of giant and dwarf is expressed more mildly here by man and boy or father and son the motive of deformity which is used constantly by the kabiric cult is present also in the face picture while the parallel figures to dionysus and Paeus are the caricatured miros and parotheus just as formerly the difference in size gave occasion for division so does the deformity here without first bringing further proof to bear i may remark that from this knowledge especially strong sidelights are thrown upon the original psychologic meaning of the religious heroes dionysus stands in an intimate relation with the psychology of the early asiatic god who died and rose again from the dead and whose manifold manifestations have been brought together in the figure of christ into a firm personality enduring for centuries we gain from our premise the knowledge that these heroes as well as their typical fates are personifications of the human libido and its typical fates they are imagery like the figures of our nightly dreams the actors and interpreters of our secret thoughts and since we in the present day have the power to decipher the symbolism of dreams and thereby surmise the mysterious psychologic history of development of the individual so a way is here open to the understanding of the secret springs of impulse beneath the psychologic development of races our previous trains of thought which demonstrate the phallic side of the symbolism of the libido also show how thoroughly justified is the term libido originally taken from the sexual sphere this word has become the most frequent technical expression of psychoanalysis for the simple reason that its significance is wide enough to cover all the unknown and countless manifestations of the will in the sense of schopenhauer it is sufficiently comprehensive and rich in meaning to characterize the real nature of the psychical entity which it includes the exact classical significance of the word libido qualifies it as an entirely appropriate term libido is taken in a very wide sense in cicero from the good proceed desire and joy joy having reference to some present good and desire to some future one but joy and desire depend upon the opinion of good as desire being inflamed and provoked is carried on eagerly toward what has the appearance of good and joy is transported and exults on obtaining what was desired for we naturally pursue those things that have the appearance of good and avoid the contrary wherefore as soon as anything that has the appearance of good presents itself nature incites us to endeavour to obtain it now where this strong desire is consistent and founded on prudence it is by the stoics called bulesis and the name which we give it is volition and this they allow to none but their wise men and define it thus volition is a reasonable desire but whatever is incited too violently in opposition to reason that is a lust or an unbridled desire which is discoverable in all fools the tusculum disputation cicero page four o three the meaning of the libido here is to wish and in the stoical distinction of will dissolute desire cicero used libido in a corresponding sense ageri rem aliquam libidine non ratione 
in the same sense sallust says iracundia pars est libidinus in another place in a milder and more general sense which completely approaches the analytical use magisque in decorus armis et militaribus equisquam in scortis et convivius libidinum hibibant libido is used for arms and military horses rather than for dissipations and banquets also quod si tibi bona libido furorit patriae etc the use of libido is so general that the phrase libido as scire merely had the significance of i will it pleases me in the phrase aliquam libido urinae lacessit libido had the meaning of urgency the significance of sexual desire is also present in the classics this general classical application of the conception agrees with the corresponding etymological context of the word libido or lubido with libet more ancient lubet it pleases me and libens or lubens gladly willingly sanskrit lubiati to experience violent longing labiati excites longing lubda eager loba longing eagerness gothic leus and old high german liab love moreover in gothic lubians was represented as hope and old high german loban to praise lob commendation praise glory old bulgarian Lejibuti, to love Lejubi, love lithuanian sinti to praise it can be said that the conception of libido as developed in the new work of freud and of his school it has functionally the same significance in the biological territory as has the conception of energy since the time of robert mayer in the physical realm it may not be superfluous to say something more at this point concerning the conception of libido after we have followed the formation of its symbol to its highest expression in the human form of the religious hero End of section eleven